This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. Welcome to CT Startup. This is Dave Menard from Martha Klein, and with me today is Eric Francis from Trifecta Ecosystems. And Andrea Stahl. And Matt Maroney from Race Green. Yes, we have, we're doing another roundtable today, uh, coming to you uh, semi-live from the Law Lab at District New Haven. And uh, Matt Maroney has agreed to join our hosts for the roundtable. And we are opening it up to all topics, folks. What do we got? What's going on? What's yeah, in the world? Yeah, what, yeah, what is going on? You were talking about some report? <laughs> yeah, the IPCC, the uh, Internet International Governmental Panel for Climate Change, uh, released a report that in order to actually meet a 1.5 degrees Celsius warming scenario by 2050, every country in the world would have to cut their carbon emissions by 5 to 10% every year um, for the next several decades. We're talking, a, and this was in the report, a World War II level of mobilization. Probably more. Okay, and that's like literally never been done since World War II. Yeah, well, we all need. <laughs> uh, we, we, we always bring you in for your for your awesome analysis. That's yeah, always right saying, on target. Saying, you know, like it's been a while. It's been a while since that kind of effort has happened. So. I, I mean, it, it is amazing. It's depressing. It's I got I got to admit. I, so I I do follow this. I'm uh, and I shouldn't even have to say this. I'm a believer in climate change. How, how do you not? I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. Because it's there, right? But Well, you know, it, it, you can't selectively believe science, right? If you believe in cell phones and television and computers, you cannot choose to believe that climate change isn't real. It's the same radiative physics. It's the same electromagnetic radiation. So there, there's not a choice. It's just unfortunate that we live in an age that has been so politicized by you know, big money and government. I mean, Citizens United is real and it's raw and it's influencing our elections, in my opinion, much more than Russian hacking is. All right, well, okay. Oh, I love it. Well, I love it. Well, <laughs> well, did, I, did she just put on boxing gloves? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, you know, I don't think the debate is necessarily around believing climate change. I wonder if the debate is around whether we are serious about pursuing the types of changes in industry and emissions practices in the countries that have contributed the most growth to CO2 emissions globally, namely China and India. So one of, and, and I know the U.S. has an outsized carbon footprint. I get that. The largest I, I, in the world. I get, by far, yes. And most, most point emissions are held by private corporations. And those private corporations issue stock to people who should have a voice but don't have a mechanism to provide social pressure or investor pressure 
to reduce carbon emissions. There's a, there's a great startup uh, that's trying to do that, actually. Um, it's called Stake. Mm-hmm. Um, Stake is basically trying to... Steak agri- sounds fabulous. Right yeah, steak, yeah, it's good for carbon emissions. Um, but basically, it's trying to aggregate shareholder proxy votes um, to basically push forward board initiatives. Um, because right now, you know, BlackRock and uh, mm-hmm. State Street, they control the majority, like a large uh, component of public equities, and, and they kind of tend to vote with management. Things are changing, like BlackRock basically is mandating that its top 100 holdings are going through the task force on climate-related risk disclosures. Um, but I think it's it's an interesting discussion you brought up about you know largest contributors because there's a lot of different ways to slice it. Like many systems, it's it's where do you define the boundaries um, in time and space? And you know, a hundred companies have released 71% of the historical carbon dioxide emissions. America has the largest per capita emissions by far and the largest historical emissions by far. So if we take a look at the snapshot right now of what's happening right now, it fails to acknowledge the historical inertia um, that I believe we are responsible for. But it's a debate that has been being had at at all of the climate, uh, the COPs, the Conference of Parties uh, for the uh, UN Framework on Climate Change since the beginning. So um, since 1992, this debate has been had since um, Kyoto in 1997. And yet, global carbon emissions have gone up 30 and, years and, later. And, but it's so, so I think part of the, yeah. the, the problem here is that a handful of people, a relatively small percent of our population, really controls ultimately and are responsible for ultimately the point source emissions that we've seen driving global CO2. Um, the majority of people have almost no control over the practices in manufacturing and in the point source, you know, basically combustion sources, right? So if we talk about the social change necessary to achieve reductions in CO2, the social change would have to come around producing pressure that those individuals feel so that there's an appropriate amount of risk and reward in behaving that way. And I've never seen a mechanism, even taking shape, really, yeah. frankly, that would allow sort of the velocity of action in place now to make that happen. I mean, it's, so it's discouraging to me. Yeah. Well, well, it's surprising. I just want to add, I, I don't think anybody should take your argument and feel like that lets them off the hook. Right. I mean, if you're saying you're saying the majority of emissions come from, essentially are at the decision of a small group of people, mm-hmm. that doesn't excuse everybody's individual responsibility in their own lives, doing their own thing to make it a better place. And the fact is, is that all of us are going to be, the rest of us are paying taxes that are going to have to try to fix the results of this, of the climate change. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, we don't even think about, we, we don't really think about the effects of it. I mean, people hear numbers, but they don't really process it. I mean, the, the, the way it's looking, and, and I'm, I'm not probably knows the statistics better than I do, but at some point, Miami and New York are going to be unviable cities yeah. probably in the next hundred years. Have you, have you years. been to Miami lately? They're, they're pumping their streets <laughs> yes. you know, they, constantly they, now. They get yeah. floods yes. when there's not even any rain. Yes. I mean, it's – and so – and people are still moving there, and it's still yes. expanding and, and, and is effectively ignoring an issue. And it's going to be an unviable city, which is going to create huge transient and refugee problems within the United States. And I don't know how you can – uh, just ignore these issues, and especially because we're the ones who are going to be paying for it. And we already pay for it in a way. I mean, yeah. our yeah. tax dollars goes into billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies in the United States. So, I mean, 
Uh, I think you brought up a really great point, which is one that I constantly battle people with, which is this debate versus individual action versus, versus corporate responsibility. You know, like my, my mom, I love my mom, shout out to my mom, but she, you know, she tells me, Matt, I unplug my phone charger every night, I, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, you do that for an entire year, that's the same amount of energy you save that you burn in a car in several seconds. So it's, it's, uh, I'm a, I was trained as a scientist. I think about powers of 10 and orders of magnitude. That's how I frame my reference are these back of the envelope calculations. A lot of people have no impact on the decision of the Global Cement Manufacturers Association. Um, there's things we can do, but um, we can't rely solely on individual actions. Um, we need to put a lot of pressure on, on the corporations that are responsible because, you know, I don't know if you know who Jeremy Grantham is. I just saw him speak in San Francisco. He, he's a billionaire from Australia. He made all his money basically buying all the world's phosphorus <laughs> from uh, yeah, Morocco. Yeah. Um, but he was giving this talk where he said, look, corporations aren't going to do anything on climate change. We have to bully them. Um, you know, capitalism has no mechanism for valuing the future. I mean, and this is coming from a billionaire, yes. right? That cool. So when you have these kind of things happening and these type of people saying these things, it should be cause for alarm, urgent action, et cetera. But, but I mean, this happens. I mean, this isn't just limited to climate change. Sure. Right? But, I mean, corporations will purposely sell bad products until they've accrued enough liability with those products to make it not worth them to sell. Mm -hmm. Like right. Apple or? Oh, well, <laughs> ooh, ooh. I was actually thinking more like Johnson & Johnson or, you know, even Monsanto or something. You know, I mean, like some of these things that have accrued large liabilities. Johnson Johnson, you know, obviously famous for the baby powder or something like that. And now they're starting to get sued over contents of talcum powder and, and things. And, 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 you know, and they build that into their calculations. And at some point it's not, it's worthwhile or it's not worthwhile. Um, and they've had other products and I, I can't. I don't remember all the situations in my head, but the point is, is you know, it's the same thing as with climate change, right? And unless it becomes economically unviable for them, it's a risk-reward calculation, right? Like, if we only have a ten percent risk of getting sued by a few hundred thousand people, but it's, you know, and we have to pay out twenty million dollars, but it saves us eight hundred million. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean. Um, you know, externalities are real. It's it's, it's a big problem. Um, they also don't take into account the long term effects on yeah. on supply of people, uh, environment. Right? I mean, like by environment, I mean like access to roads and utilities and so on. Uh, you know, whether we're going to have enough people to to who are going to be sufficiently trained to work on the business and so on. Um, and so it's really uh, it, it's it, I feel like it's always short term game too. It's not nobody's thinking in the long term. Well, if it's one thing, you know. Donald Trump being a, uh, you know, <laughs> a lightning rod. There's some things that he's doing that I think are pretty interesting, one of which he's advocating for the elimination of quarterly reporting, um, which I think would be really a great thing if, if companies didn't have to report every quarter and they could focus on annual reporting. I mean, this is something that is shared by Paul Pullman of Unilever, which is kind of this, you know, CSR or corporate social responsibility kind of thought leader. And so, you know, how can we shift to more long-term thinking uh, based on when you have people basically doing automated micro-trading at billions of a second, yeah. <laughs> like we saw yesterday on on, on the stock index. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so the issue here is that the general public has one weapon in all this, which is shame. <laughs> shame. I am a big fan of shame <laughs> returning to the public, you know, sphere. Um, you know, look, I mean, all the social causes in our country have been brought about by grounds up 
uh, weaponizing of shame, I mean, the Civil Rights Act, uh, women's suffrage. When you look at large social movements, people finally have enough, they reach a tipping point, and they become this sort of ungovernable mass of, you know, hordes of people demanding the thing. We've never successfully, I think, at least I can't think in the moment, of a time we've leveraged that against private corporations and private wealth. It's always been sort of the government sector that people fight against to gain their rights. This is a different kind of argument in that we're, we would be, people would be pitched against private wealth and private corporations. And I don't know, and that's why I don't know what the template is for how to, how to force action. The, and the Russian Revolution? Or? The Russian Revolution. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's interesting, right? Because... It, it's so easy in the environmental space, and I, I know this roundtable we've been focusing mostly on environmental issues, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, capitalism's a problem, this and that. But, you know, it's like, okay, it, it, sure, it's a problem, but, like, I also like to buy clothes, and I like to live, and I like to whatever. So, I mean, it, it, it's easy to point fingers at corporations because they're like these abstract concept. but I, I think you're totally right, which is, you know, most people are just not engaged. And the biggest problems I see in the world, besides the lack of love and the lack of art, which is number one, love and art, is, is greed and apathy. And these two forces um, are, to me, the greatest challenges that we need to solve as a human race if we actually want to overcome environmental and social problems. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's been, um, <clears throat> so, so just go on, uh, take this as slightly a field, right? Change it slightly. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. Um, proposed some a couple pieces of new legislation uh, earlier this year, uh, maybe only like a month or two ago, and uh, one of them was fascinating, it, it, just because it, it, the way it affects my field, you know, the corporate law and so on. But it was basically suggesting that any company that has over a billion in revenue um, or a billion net worth needs to get a corporate, a federal charter to operate, and as a result of the federal charter, they would need to, um, they would need to have at least half their board or just slightly under half their board comprised of workers. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically making it a little bit more like the German model. But yeah, I was about to say that that is how Germany yeah. does it, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and a few other things go into this federal charter, but that was about one of the big things. And I, I thought, wouldn't, you know, if, if, you, if you're a believer in the idea of conscious capitalism, um, which, which I'm, I, I, I am a, a growing fan of, I like the idea of companies being responsible to all stakeholders, not just shareholders, but people, the, the workers, the people in the community, the people who use their products or services, and so on, just to take all stakeholders into account when making corporate decisions. And maybe you arrive at the same decision, but you're at least, you're, you're, you're being conscious, you're actively thinking about these decisions in more than just a quarterly reporting, short-term thinking kind of way. Um, adding workers to a board does that. It, it makes it it makes it so that your board is now conscious. Uh, it immediately forces a, a different discussion in any board meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And workers are going to give you a different perspective, and they have a different uh, they have different rights and responsibilities in terms of their regular day to day role with the corporation. Uh, and I think that alone would be sort of a sea change in in how companies operate. Agree. Agree. I absolutely love that. And of course, you can tell that it was powerful because it was immediately dismissed by not only the Republicans, <laughs> but also the Democrats. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's social justice needs to become uh, a, a, a more than just a way to, for HR to control 
you know, yeah. the, the the dialogue within a corporation. It needs to become sort of a, a governing mechanism in, in a corporation. And it won't happen unless there are significant sanctions for acting otherwise. Um, I think I don't know much about the Elizabeth. I've only read the articles yeah. uh, uh, from the Elizabeth Warren um, uh proposal, I guess I'll call it. Um, but it does have the outlines. Bernie Sanders also talked about some of this in the earlier yeah. campaign. It took more shape under Elizabeth Warren. Andrew Yang is another Democrat, uh, Silicon Valley Democrat, Silicon Valley billionaire, um, who is interested in a different mechanism for this, but the same type of idea uh, running on the Democratic platform. Again, a lot of these, um, a lot of these more left of center Democrats yeah have thought about ways to create more to put more of a citizen's voice you said stakeholder voice yeah. um you know into the corporate boardroom uh, unfortunately i i'm i'm there i don't think there is another mechanism that gives us the velocity and magnitude of change that we need to get the next 20 years of admissions under emissions under yeah. control i don't i don't think Collective act. I don't think it. I think we're well beyond the point where collective citizen action, as individual, you know, homeowners and users of of, of electricity and other, you know, will have an impact. We need the point emitters to behave differently. We need corporations in the United States, China, and India. And I know people don't like to talk about that, but I mean, it's when you if you look at the at the, at the sources of emissions today. Mm -hmm. Um, no, no one of those companies, uh, countries can act alone. All three countries are going to need to create some type of collective action. Um, and it, all of it will be done, I think, at the corporation's end, not, not individual citizens. Well, it's, I think China and India might be slightly different. At least China. Yeah. China is actually cracking down on emissions. And they're taking serious steps, but they but their They've government already runs everything. they targets uh, for renewable energy. Um, no. I mean, they're installing... So much more yeah. renewable wind, solar than the U.S. Um, I'll just add that Jerry Brown actually just passed a bill that you know basically mandated California boards to have, be a, half, have women. women. Yeah. Um, so, so there's some good steps. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah there are. So, so I guess the, the idea of that you're you're saying that shame is the only way to kind of get you know, well, well I want to go back because because a lot of people would say well the individual ha can vote with their dollar they can do that but. I, kind of interesting, there's a report that we were looking at as a food company, is that more food is imported into the United States, fresh vegetables, than exported, right? So that means that actually consumers in America don't care about local food. They don't care about, like, and so it, it's a lot of, it's the disconnect because a lot of individuals, right, again, um, actually let's do a, another podcast about how in the future, um, these companies are going to know way more about you. Actually, it was in, a, it was in a, a new book I read, actually, I listened to. And it was about how they're going to know more about you. And if you're not self-aware with the actions that you take, then all these companies are just going to be able to, like, again, do whatever they want with you, basically. Get you to buy whatever you want, whatever they want, and so forth. So, Is that different than things are already? Well, no, no, no. They're saying is that it's happening now. And, and within 10 years, some people are going to just be, you're going to be so far behind the machine learning and the AI that, that's manipulating your life that if you're not self-aware with how those things are interacting with you, I guess self-awareness is like the new is going to be the the the, the battleground. Uh, Eric, right? I, I just got a message on my uh, Apple Watch, and the corporate overlords are not happy with it, <laughs> as they shouldn't be. Um, but but again, it, the the whole idea about the shame and, and the dollars is that you know again as a consumer, what does that make my role now? 
I'm not just buying, but I have to now, again, be a activist. I have to go out and I have to do something, which I will have to say is that when I talk to other people about climate change and or, you know, they everybody seems I, I don't talk to many people that are like climate change doesn't exist. Like there's not changes in, in what's happening. It only I only see that really on TV or with these bigger. So that's, I guess, the disconnect is that so many people are, I guess, maybe some people are brainwashed by what's actually being talked about. But. Again, when was the last time you had a, an actual conversation with somebody that, that was like, climate change does not exist? People in my family believe that. So, well, well, but, but they are watching the TV. <laughs> no, probably shouldn't no, have no, said no, that. No, 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 but, no. But, but they're watching the TV, <laughs> right? They're watching the, the news, and that's where they're – are they getting primarily all their, their, their information from there? I so. would say that awareness is a luxury yeah. and that, like, for a lot of people barely making it in America, to have the burden of, like, extensive yeah. research is a luxury. I, I think it's – it's interesting that we've hit on kind of corporations and kind of perhaps policies role to regulate them. And I think we can all agree that we are in a time where like urgent political, like new innovative policy is needed, creative policy. But yet we, at the same time, we live in an age where our political systems have all but broken down and it, policy initiative seems less likely than ever. Like a carbon tax in America, you know, even the conservative proposal for a tax and dividend, which is getting a lot of traction, this House already said they're not going to vote on any carbon legislation. Um, and even though this this legislation is kind of pulling really favorably, it also advocates for basically a huge rollback of the EPA's regulatory authority. So, I mean, a thing like a national carbon tax or, or perhaps reforming federal charters, I mean, we recognize the need for that, but we live in an age where those things are like so improbable. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is, well, do we rely on business to create this innovation because our political systems are, are so broken? Or, or do we take to the streets? You know, there were million in the Women's March, but that was just one day. You know, the Vietnam War ended because that happened every day for several years and people were quitting their jobs and quitting school and protesting full time. And I, I don't see anything like that happening because, frankly, there's some well, the great have, British people have, show. Yeah, people have way more on their plate and way more to deal with. And I was honestly, I was at a school in, in Hartford with a bunch of kids who are you know, going through the, like they were expelled or, or so forth and so on. And they have, they are dealing in such a different world. Like the amount of stuff is coming at them, what they have to think about, how they have to interact. Like, I mean, I get overwhelmed sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And I feel, I feel like I'm a pretty good, you know, uh, I can handle it. But again, I can't get into the, the, the nitty gritty of climate change. I have my own business. I have my own day to day life. I have to, you know, I have a wedding to plan for, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it does get in the way. Um, and honestly, a lot of these conversations, I will, coming from a perspective of somebody who likes to get schooled, like I, I don't mind being wrong. I'll say something. I want to kind of go back to it. It's harder and harder to have those conversations with people and actually get schooled on actual knowledge because it gets into this back and forth. Oh, you believe this or you believe that, you know, the partisan kind of a thing. So look, it's look, man, I just got a master's degree and I, I was sitting at a table with a bunch of professors, really like, in, you know, influential thought leaders, like people I respect a lot. And, you know, we were having conversation eventually turned to Trump and fake news and whatnot. And, you know, I brought up the question of like, what's the point of being an expert? Like what you're talking about is you defer to experts to, to help you learn. Um, what's the point of being an expert in this age when people don't believe in expertise? It's an interesting question. <laughs> Yeah, mind blown, <laughs> and, and all the professors God. just looked at each other like, "Oh God, what?" <laughs> well, because it, I mean, there is a there. Is, I mean, on behalf of those professors and someone who makes a living selling knowledge, right? It, you know, you sort of rely on you. You just like to hide your, your head in the sand. You, what you like to do is just you like to believe that 
listen, this is just another phase. Things are always going to work out. This is going to be, and this is, you know, this is my generation, right? I, I think, I think sort of Generation X looks at the baby boomers and say, hey, look, they went through a lot of transitions. Everything worked out fine and, and they're okay. And then, and then, you know, things, yeah, things are challenging right now, but if, at the end, our system can withstand all this. It's going to be okay. And the hard part is, is, you know, I don't know that that's true anymore. And my traditional method of solving problems, which usually involve Ben and Jerry's and Netflix, <laughs> is not, you know, the, you know, it, it's, it, it's not enough. And so, and so now we're challenged, frankly, to get up off our asses and do things that the baby boomers did when they were young and that they don't support anymore. Well, it's, it's hard to take risks, the risks of things that would like damage your future or like put you in jail. I mean, like the people that got arrested for speaking out at Brett Kavanaugh's yep. hearing, like they jeopardize their future. It's, it's really hard when you're living a comfortable life to take risks that justify that Absolutely. comfort disappearing. Well, okay. So on the on the positive side of all this, oh, yeah. uh, I from think, the baby well, let's, let's go there. <laughs> okay. uh, let's try to find. Me. Uh, I I do think, and in, in my travels, what I see um, is sort of the opposite of what you just described, which is this sort of um, you know the age of the intellectual is is over, right? That's the worst fear. Um, what I see is that particularly in for climate change and other sort of technology-driven uh, types of, of, of social problems, people think that someone will come along and create a solution. You know, there's an Elon Musk out there for climate change. And there are, you know, if you, if you know a little bit more about it, you may say, well, you know, there are CO2 scrubbers and we can produce technology that, you know, that remove, you know, CO2 from the atmosphere in large, you know, quantities very quickly. And these scrubbers will come along and, and someone will stick them somewhere and they'll take care of it. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to reverse the impact of human-led climate change 100, 150 years in the course of a couple of years. And there have been patents, you know, produced for this type of thing. So I think when you when you push a few folks who are you were sort of at the sidelines on this thing, they'll say, look, if, if the problem gets bad enough that it starts to hurt corporate profits, if if the problem gets systemic enough that it helps to uh, destabilize capitalism, there will be solutions. There will be technology solutions, and they're going to come along at a global scale at just the right time. And history tells us, and history shows us, that that seems to happen. So you need a catalytic, catalytic, catalytic moment to happen before yeah. something happens. We rise to the occasion. Humans have this amazing tendency to rise to the occasion. But we tend to wait until it's really a crisis to step forward and, make, and, and, and to produce technologies that make tremendous change at just the right moment. And I'll be honest with you, that's kind of where I am on all this. Really? I don't yeah. want to rely on that. Yeah, techno-optimism, I think, is, is important, but it's also See, not... See, they got a label for you. Yeah, techno-optimism. You know, it, I think it's true. I mean, I wait to the last minute on a lot of deadlines, too, so why doesn't the species... I think it's more than carbon emissions, though, right? I think it's how we fundamentally interact with our planet and other human beings. Um, half the world's forests are gone, <laughs> right? Because we chop them down for money. Yep. So, um, you know, and shelter, right? But... The, the thing is, like, what do human beings okay, truly yes, there need? There are more trees in North America today than we believe there ever have been. There's more treed acreage in Connecticut than there has been since the settlers washed ashore. So, so in other words, yeah. for every pessimistic moment you yeah. have, I can give you an... I don't mean to interrupt, sure. but I just no, want no, to mean, please. you know, there are 
there there is a sort of a way of thinking about humanity in our course of action that we tend to innovate on demand and we you could argue that we just haven't reached that point yet where the best among us will come forward with the solutions when it you know when it's required i think part of the question there is how many people will suffer yeah. and how and how much damage will be done to the quote unquote the other right people that we don't see don't know don't don't hear the life stories of you know before we come forward with that solution and i think that's kind of where i've fallen into lately in terms of my thinking mm. like yeah. the house is on fire you need to wait for the fire department well, somebody else's house is on fire so yeah. i don't need to worry about it but my house may be on you know so that's the question i mean right now frankly um, I think the thinking is that the th certain third world countries, you know, Bangladesh and Indonesia, that you know, Malta, that, that are low to uh, the ground, that you know, that yeah. have that, that you know, that are really uh, facing absolutely cataclysmic yeah. economic uh, consequences for sea level incursion. Right, those countries will take the brunt of climate change, and I think the Western world will sit back and watch that. Um, and there will be ramifications. There may be refugee crises. There will certainly be all kinds of humanitarian outcries. But I don't think until it becomes a Western problem, we will solve it. I don't know. I'm I mean, not. I'm not advocating. I'm just. That's what I think. That's where we are. Unfortunately, it is. And and I will have to say is that context because I will. I got going on the the. Um, the forest thing, more trees now, is that wildlife in, in America, we actually do a phenomenal job about conservation, and there's more wildlife in, in America than there was when the settlers were. Let's and not so, forget we're in the middle of the sixth extinction yeah. right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I so, love this guy. No, yeah. So what well, I'm just saying is that it is, it is in a context thing because if everybody, if the one problem I do have is that I do think we as a species, we will do heroic things. Like we will, we will make it happen. And actually, I, I truly believe People are waiting for that in their life. They do not have a heroic moment. They've never had a heroic moment. They don't understand that they actually need to be pushed and go into very un, un, uncertain and actually um, kind of terrible situations sometimes to come out on top. Um, and so that is something where I, I think that we will have that moment. But also, if you're always thinking about the pessimistic viewpoint versus the optimistic viewpoint, it, it gets draining. And, and I, like, I, I know like... I like to think of it as what's the problem so I can make a solution to make money. I mean, entrepreneurially, that's what you do, right? But I can't live in the pessimistic, right? I have to live in the optimistic. Okay. We, so I'm going to interject here because we have to wrap this up. Okay. So, so, so we've gone for a while. This has been an awesome discussion, and I, and I want to have it again. I think, uh, I think Matt, you need to come back. Mm. Happy and, to. And, uh, and we can, we'll have to hit another topic of excitement. Uh, if you've enjoyed this discussion, the best thing that you can do for the climate is to go onto iTunes or Google Play and give us five stars. Um, and uh, we could really use your ratings. Uh, that helps us uh, in terms of developing the podcast, getting notoriety, and, and eventually getting advertisers. So uh, if, you, if you like the podcast, please support it by giving us a rating. Uh, if you're in the New Haven, Connecticut area, please stop by and visit us at the Law Lab at District New Haven. And uh, if you did not like the podcast, please stay quietly in your little hole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. And uh, it's been great having you guys here again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. 
we would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalina for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.